Welcome to Gaia's Unexplained Podcast. Go beyond the mainstream to uncover hidden truths and decode ancient origins. If you want to go deeper, visit Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower a community of fellow seekers. For more information, visit GaiaUnexplained.com. If you tap on a table or a hard surface in front of you, you might think that it's solid. But when we examine it under a powerful enough microscope, we find that it's actually in a constant state of motion. What if all of this, you, your life, your home, this world, is just a dream that one day you'll wake up from? Perhaps when we're dreaming, we're actually waking up into other realities, which is our true state. I'm reminded of the classic 19th century Masonic nursery rhyme about the boats that were used to build King Solomon's temple that goes, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. We have to ask ourselves if we spend most of our lives, when we're very young and when we grow older, sleeping and dreaming, is this state of dreamless, sleepless wakefulness that you're all in right now any more important? In fact, we know some of our most ancient cultures on the planet, like the Australian Aborigines, actually paint and worship images of their dreams and call it dream time. And of course, our consciousness is the driving force behind all of this. But what is consciousness? We're told traditionally that consciousness is created in the brain. But as we'll discuss later in this episode, consciousness is a non-local awareness. There's a non-locality factor to it that affects how we decode our quantum reality. Your consciousness has layers. You can be aware that you're aware. You can be aware that you're aware that you're aware. This is your spark, your laughter, your tears, your hopes and fears. All of it is the driving force of your unique, precious, beautiful existence. One of the hermetic principles we are taught in the Kabbalion is that the all is mine, the universe is mental. This is very similar to what we learn in quantum mechanics from Erwin Schrodinger, who said that the overall number of minds in the universe is one. Time is a subject bubble with the eye in the middle, just like we hear from the Moses story when he's told the name of God is I am that I am, or Echaye in the Hebrew. This individual aspect of us is why many of us are afraid to be alone, but we're also a part of the whole. But we have to ask ourselves then, who is the whole? Outside of the egocentric self, there is a single sovereign entity in the universe we're all a part of. Pythagoras called it the monad. In science, we call this the unified field. Spiritual people have called it the source, the great spirit, or God, which comes from the Germanic gut, meaning good, like God is good. India's Guru Nanak taught us that we are all one and there's one supreme power at the source of life. As it says in the beginning of the Sikh scriptures, or the Mool Mantar, that there is the Ikankar, Ik meaning one, and Ankar meaning God. Essentially, the Vedic writings, the Mundaka Upanishad, teaches us the same thing. We find references to the universal soul in the Bhagavad Gita, despite the Hindu belief of there being countless incarnations of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. 
We find a similar teaching of one supreme being in Islam when the Prophet Muhammad destroyed the Chaldean idols at Mecca to serve Allah. Akhenaten turned away from the priests of Amun to return to the Aten, or we can look at the biblical version of the story when Moses was given the Edicts of the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments, written in stone by the fiery finger of God in the mountains of Sinai, where he's told about one supreme being. Gautama Buddha spoke out against the millions of anthropomorphic gods people blame for their problems in Nepal and to take responsibility for their own actions. Perhaps polytheism or multiple gods were not the problems as such, as they are really just personifications of divine principles in human form, but these were great revolts inspired by a longing for the proper use of universal life principles. No matter what name you call this supreme being or quantum field, it's connected to everything, from the movement of the tiniest insect wings, a blade of grass covered in dew, and all the 10 billion trillion infinity to the power of infinity different life forms in our universe. But the point of all of this is that if there is a quantum internet in our universe, how are we all connected? We know Nikola Tesla said, my brain is only a receiver. In the universe, there is a core from which we obtain knowledge, strength, inspiration. I've not penetrated into the secrets of this core, but I know it exists. Throughout history, we know there have been various figures who claim to be able to access a quantum field of information. One of those figures was Rudolf Steiner, who in the 19th century developed something known as anthroposophy, where you could tap into this quantum field of information to help with various inventions or agriculture and working with medicine. We know this is also true of Walter Russell, who in the early 20th century had the incredible ability to lock himself in a room and be able to learn how to do sculpting or make scientific breakthroughs and write amazing books. We know this is also true of the Indian mathematician Srinivas Ramanujan, who had the theories we now use today for string theory come to him in dreams. And of course, there was Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet who made thousands of accurate medical predictions by laying on his back. But we know it doesn't end there, as we know there have been numerous simultaneous inventions and discoveries made by people at two places at once on our planet. For example, we look at Isaac Newton as he found calculus or with the discoveries of oxygen or the jet engine. Are we looking at a type of quantum entanglement where two minds are entangled? Or is there a field of information going around in the universe that we're always tapping into? But every second you might say you're impregnating reality with your thoughts. We're shifting to an infinite number of parallel realities as you're constantly witnessing the birth and death of universes. This is no different than the mitosis in your body. Every day, over 50 trillion cells are dying and being regenerated. That's over 300 billion a minute. This is like the rising of the phoenix from the ashes. This is the dance of Shiva, the destroyer of worlds. This is the regeneration of the mother octopus who gives up her body for her young octopi to feed off of her in the great simpatico of life. 
Well, where does consciousness come into the picture with all of this? Perhaps we get a better idea when we look at the quantum consciousness theory that we get from Sir Roger Penrose, the famed British physicist, and the esteemed Stuart Hameroff, who specializes in anesthesiology over at the University of Arizona in Tucson. They have hypothesized that your consciousness is a field of information that's held together through quantum cohesion or a quantum entanglement. And how it works with our brains is that it can be at two places at once with that non-locality factor as that's called superpositioning. This principle is the fundamental basics of space-time geometry and thought to be the property of the very fabric of our universe. What's really fascinating about this is they have theorized that these microtubules in your brain work like a girder system or a micro-internet to be a cockpit for your consciousness. These are so well designed as computational devices that there's organized cellular activity in our brain that acts like quantum computers at this level of atoms and below. According to Stuart Hameroff, when we look at the EEG rhythms or your brain waves, those are derived from deeper level microtubular vibrations. So essentially, in your brain, we have these anharmic vibrations. So with these anharmic vibrations, this is the unique song of your consciousness. This is how in the future, hypothetically, we could triangulate your consciousness, transfer it to elsewhere or locate it, and it will act like your IP address when you want to use it on a quantum communication network. But when we talk about decoding reality, one of the best ways to do that is by looking at a branch of philosophy known as ontology. The definition of it is the study of the nature of being, becoming and existence of reality, as well as the basic categories of being and their relations. So in other words, when we look at one of these matters, we call them an ontological matter. One of the first ideas we get in this philosophy is that each of us is a unique constellation of language and environmental factors, meaning that we all have our own vocabularies, life experiences, and cultural influences that cause us to perceive reality subjectively. The great German existential philosopher Martin Heidegger discusses what he calls the phenomenological aspects of self. He does this in his classic work, Being in Time, where he examined language and how we use it to perceive our sense of self and the reality around us. This is based on two main concepts. One is called the hermeneutical as, which is a word that we often hear amongst biblical scholars, and it talks about how there are so many different personal interpretations of things, and it comes from the word Hermes, versus the apophantical as, which is the reality that we all perceive collectively. An example of this would be that if you walked out into a grocery store parking lot and you saw someone fidgeting with their keys in front of their car, you might think that the person is breaking into their car, but everyone else can agree on one main reality is that there's a guy trying to get into his car. So we all have a different subjective way of interpreting reality. In other words, what is truth to me is not truth to another because we all have a different vehicle of perception. Understanding comes before interpretation. 
We learn this from a quantum mechanics principle also, with the relation of objects is as real as the objects themselves. So really, reality happens through you and not to you. We also know our words have a sacred geometry to them, hence how we can relate the word angle to angel in our esoteric teachings. I'm reminded of Mizuru Emoto's incredible water study where he showed us the power of words, where he could speak to water with words of love and gratitude. And when it would be frozen, the crystals would have this incredible geometrical brilliance and beauty to them. And when he spoke words of hatred or anger to the water, the crystals were asymmetrical. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaUnexplained.com. No one can deny that traditions have existed for thousands of years that teach the powerful psychological integration benefits of prayer. But when we examine our ancient religious texts, they're more than just beautiful sounding accounts of historicity. It doesn't matter if you look in the scriptures of the Buddha, the Hindu Upanishads, the Bible, or the Quran, they all emphasize the power of prayer. In recent years, the healing power of prayer was studied by a Catholic scientist named Dr. Bogoslaw, who proved it works by measuring electromagnetic fields around people who were praying using an electroscope. He compared recovery times of patients in hospitals being prayed over versus ones who were not. He was absolutely stunned to discover that the ones who were prayed over recovered faster. This is not unlike what we have seen with epigenetics experts like Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. Bruce Lipton, who tell us that your thoughts are literally translated into your DNA and the chemistry that determines what you become. In other words, energy follows thought and thoughts become things. If we look at this using quantum principles, there's something known as the observable effect with Schrodinger's dictum or the double slit experiment, proving that once again, we are creating our reality. But what more is this reality than a series of neurological and physiological discharges? In fact, each of you watching this has a unique neurophysiology and biodiversity, which means that each of you has a different biological vehicle of perception. Here's how it works. Everything we see in our world is vibrating at various frequencies and interpreted by our brain through our eyes as stimulus. And you could say the divine has a sense of humor because everything you look at is upside down. This is because the front part of your eyes are curved and bend the light, making an upside down image on our retina, which the brain has to turn around. The light travels along your optic nerve as electrical impulses and finds its way to our occipital lobe. This lobe is composed of two visual cortices and connects to the frontal lobe, processing the signal into information, just like you're doing right now while watching this show. But here's the amazing part. Your brain doesn't download the objects around us as strings or even subatomic particles. 
Instead, it processes these items in our frequency range so they can form vivid pictures in your brain. This is due to the photoreceptors in our pupils, which are limited by your brain to only recognize light vibrations of the electromagnetic spectrum between 390 to 750 nanometers, which is 100 billionth of a meter, just in case you're wondering. However, when we examine wavelengths outside of our visible light spectrum, such as infrared and ultraviolet, there's a whole lot more going on than we ever imagined. And one day we can expect to discover that we are literally surrounded by a vast sea of multi-dimensional intelligences, astral wildlife, and life forms that feed off of different types of electromagnetic energies. In fact, we are now experimenting with upgrading our eyes by injecting nanoparticles into the eyeballs of rats. And just in case you're wondering what nanoparticles are, these are these little silicon hexagonal structures made of graphene that can be injected into the body. So with these particles going into our eyes, they've been used for night vision experiments, and now they're gonna be used to upgrade our vision into the infrared. One of the fathers of quantum mechanics, Niels Bohr said, Everything we call real is made of things that cannot be regarded as real. But in order to understand this reality, we have to go down to the tiniest minute particles known as atoms. When we examine the atom, we find this electron whizzing around the nucleus. And if we use atom smashers and particle accelerators, we find these funny sounding little things called subatomic particles like quarks, neutrinos, hadrons, leptons. By the time you get down to gluons and bosons, we're told that they're made of pure photonic energy with no mass. And we're told now by some of our theoretical physicists that you could fit an entire galaxy into one of those since atoms are made of mostly blank spaces. That means if our world currently has nearly 8 billion people living on it, we can literally fit them all at the end of our pinky finger. That's just to give you a little perspective on the spatial dynamics of our universe. And atoms get even stranger when we look at harmonics. You know, it takes very little energy to change the vibration of atoms in your body. Harmonics could be dangerous though especially if we change the atoms in your body so they're not relative to the ground below you. You would literally sink right into the dirt or find yourself in the middle of the earth. This has to do with relativity and spatial momentum or the spin of atoms. Harmonics could also be used to affect or manipulate gravity, allowing us to materialize out of walls or float over the floor or interfere with the subjective reality that we are perceiving. You might say a more subtle way of doing this is with our traditional spiritual practices of how you could change the resonance of a room by burning sage or using certain essential oils, singing bowls, and chanting. Remember, what used to be thought of as the talk of quacks and charlatans with the idea of dimensions and other universes is now the subject of serious scientific inquiry. One theory that has become very popular in recent years is looking at our reality and our universe as a simulation. Many scientists like Nick Bostrom and David Bohm claim we live in a simulation and our universe works like a hologram with subatomic particles. 
Michael Talbot gives us an example of this in the holographic universe with a story about a man named Tom at a party who was put under hypnosis and told that his daughter Laura was invisible. They held a pocket watch up to her back and he could accurately see through her and read the inscription on the back of the watch. I've witnessed this many times myself practicing clinical hypnotherapy over the years where someone's been told that an object or a person is not in the room and they will walk by them or it as if they're completely oblivious to the situation. What does that tell you about how we decode our reality? So instead of us saying that we live in a binary universe with light and dark matter, is it possible that we have this trinary state? Is there a third invisible antimatter state? Is this what's affecting the spin of atoms? Is this what's affecting the spin that we're told in our chakras of planets? Perhaps our universe is synergistically spinning with other universes. I'm reminded of the theories that Nassim Haramein puts out about the importance of looking at the spin of atoms. And perhaps we can tap into other dimensions by looking at angular momentum or the angle or the way that the atom spins. Another concept that comes into our awareness is that we live in a multiverse. We know now through using something known as the Wilkinson's Microwave Ansotropy Probe, or the WMAP scan for short, it's a lot easier to say, that if we look at the radioactive background scan of our universe, we see that there is this circuitous pattern in the background of our universe, showing that we've had either multiple, multiple big bangs or multiple expansions to show us that our universe is constantly growing. In fact, now what we believe in our theoretical physics is that we are just a little bubble living in a vast ocean full of universes. Moreover, what's very interesting about this is our scientists tell us that these scans have revealed that our universe is in the shape of a dodecahedron. Now, why is that interesting? Well, Plato tells us in his Tiamias that the cosmos are in the shape of a dodecahedron. And I'd ask you, how did Plato know that? According to theoretical physicist Michio Kaku, in the event that a universe has reached its maturation, an advanced civilization would be able to create a baby universe on the surface of our bubble-like universe, acting as a lifeboat to transport them to a younger and more vibrant universe. Another theory that's been suggested is that if we used a powerful enough laser, we could tear a hole in the fabric of space-time inject it full of nanobots to make it bigger and travel through to the other side and reach other universes. Inside of each of you, there is a mental coordinator or gatekeeper, and it works like our digestive system with your esophageal sphincter. It holds everything in. If too much comes through, it's like a psychic acid reflux and can be very uncomfortable changing your personality and ego, which in that case, meditation might be your only remedy like an antacid. We're all hardwired to perceive so much more, including profoundly amazing psychic abilities like remote viewing and mediumship, which many of you might already have a genetic disposition towards or experienced before we all have the means to develop these things for ourselves. 
I was once told by a master teacher a technique for unlocking the gatekeeper. He said, all you have to do is find a place of peace and quietude where you won't be disturbed and stare at a spot on the wall for just three seconds without anything coming into your mind as a distraction. And while it might sound easy, it's actually very difficult to achieve this. If done correctly, you will unlock another perception of your being. When we talk about quantum spirituality, we're really talking about the illusion that reality is linear. Time is like a river. You can never step in the same spot twice because it's constantly moving forward. Truth be told, reality is nonlinear as your past, present and future lives are all happening right now in simultaneity. And in theory, if you wanted to go back and live in the time of, let's say, Cleopatra VII, you could theoretically incarnate back then and interact with them if all the players were game. The universe is constantly growing, evolving and expanding, breaking off into infinite amounts of different timelines and realities in every direction. Remember, reality is what you make of it. I'm Johnny Enoch, and thanks for watching Mystery Teachings. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Unexplained Podcast. To learn even more, go to Gaia.com, where you can watch interviews, movies, and original series. Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaUnexplained.com.